Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Alright guys, we've got Cody on the phone. How are you, man? Dude, I'm doing so awesome. Other than the fact that it's been like 97 degrees out here lately, that that part of it's been sucky, but it's almost August. Bulls are going to be bugling in like a month and uh, pretty stoked. Yeah. Actually, I had a buddy text me the other day. He was scouting and heard a bull bugle. Really? Yeah, in Idaho. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. He also found like the dream spike of all spikes. He said it's like mid 40 inch main beams, but just a spike like <laughs> goes all the way back. Like insane, like shoulder mounts trophy spike. <laughs> that sounds like so. that sounds like a pretty sweet bowl. Yeah, um, I guess I wanted to give listeners a quick background, maybe a bit of a reminder. I know we did some podcasts last September while we were hunting. Yeah. Yep. Like. Cody and I met when we went elk hunting together for the first time in Colorado. And yeah, Target parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys haven't watched any of the elk hunting videos yet, check out Born and Raised channel. Like They've got all that hunt that we'll refer to a lot in this podcast, I'm sure. And I'm currently working on our version, and we're going to post that like the third week of August is our start okay, date perfect. for those. And, um, you know, so if you haven't watched them, I think they're awesome. I would say Cody thinks the same, so check them out. But, yeah, I mean, we met just, like, going in to start backpack hunting. You know, we've talked on the phone prior, but, you know, we didn't know each other at all, really. But hit it off, had a great time. We're talking about trying to make some sort of deer hunting trip happen just because and we enjoy hunting together so much bad part is we just live on complete like pretty <laughs> dang opposite sides of the mountains let's put it that yeah. way yeah definitely no i think i think the coolest thing is you share an elk camp with someone it's either gonna make or break your friendship mm-hmm. and you know the bonds are built on the mountain and i think uh, we'll have that forever lifetime like we could not, see, you know, just with life and living apart, not mm-hmm. see or talk to each other for a year and just click right back in. And yeah, let's go hunt. Let's go kill something. Let's go yeah. have fun. You know, I mean, it's and I don't know. I think the coolest thing that I enjoyed hunting with you, it's like I thought I was pretty dang positive <laughs> and you were like next level positivity, <laughs> you know, and just excitement. And it really kind of refueled because, I mean, it's probably like you deer hunting sometimes that you're like okay, we're going to another spot. We got another hunt, you know, and it, and it, we're blessed to be able to get to do what we do, but it also, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure. And I would say when I met up with you, it kind of interjected that excitement level back in and like all the sights and sounds and all the little experiences that I've kind of taken for granted over the years, you got to experience that for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was like, okay, yeah, this is what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, hunting deer for so long i know what to expect going into it i have no expectation elk hunting i mean still after doing it for i think i totaled 18 days in the elk woods last year which is a lot for one season you know compared to i think Mm -hmm. what most people get 
I still don't really have like a ton of expectation because I'm still so new to it. I think there's um, definitely more knowledge now, but I don't have a ton of expectation other than let's go have fun. And I think that probably was, you know, the the difference between what since you guys have been doing it, you're more like what we're where we're at with the deer stuff, and you don't have that like well whatever we're just gonna have fun it doesn't matter if we hear or see anything for days like i'm gonna have fun because this is right. new but yeah yeah i know i think that it's really cool to see like our worlds are so different but so same in this like the way you plugged into elk hunting to taking you know your other prior hunting knowledge and even some of the stuff that i probably don't even think about that I should, that mm-hmm. you were like, Hey, this, you know, I mean, just set up scenarios and everything else that you guys have learned in the deer woods and turkeys in that matter, mm-hmm. um, you know, really kind of triggered into the elk side of it. So it's really cool to kind of feed off each other in those, in that scenario. So definitely, I, I guess before we dive too much into specific stuff, talk a little bit about like how born and raised got started and, how you got started hunting and just a little bit of that backstory just to help people understand where you're at with all this stuff for sure no my first elk hunting experience uh was i was nine years old and i got to tag along with my dad and so he killed a bull the year before so it was kind of you know he was like okay now my son's you know he can actually tromps around in the woods with me uh, specifically remember making hard boiled eggs, <laughs> driving up in the mountains at four 30 in the morning, we hit a deer, like this whole, the whole trip is so visceral in my mind of like how that whole elk hunting first trip saw elk right at daylight, got out, chased him, couldn't get after him. Then we drove up and he had this like special area that he's always hunted this two mile dead end road, parked the truck. I slammed the door. My dad's like, no, you don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> we literally go off. We literally go like 400 yards, got a bull bugling, and there was two cows and this five-point bull, and I could see just kind of bits and pieces of them. Instead of my dad, like 40 yards, little, literally with a shot opportunity, instead of him focusing about shooting it, he got me up there so I could see it and experience it, and that just like hooked me from the start. So um, I started started bow hunting elk when I was 12 years old, and if, uh, I've Literally, I think this is the first year in my life that I'll not have an Oregon archery elk tag. Um, so I've just been a diehard chasing elk wherever I can. Um, we picked up a camera in 2007 and kind of got tired of watching, you know, feeder whitetails mm-hmm. on TV because it wasn't what we experienced hunting. Um, so got inspired, started making some DVDs 2007 through about 2013. Um, then we, we had our opportunity with sportsman's channel to make it big on TV, right? Like that mm-hmm. was the dream realized that that was a racket and, uh, you know, had a pretty, not a great experience, you know, with TV. And, uh, then we kind of lost our sales a little bit. Um, I, at the, s- the same time though, I had another business called full draw film tour, the bow hunting uh, film tour it was traveling around so I was busy with that and we still kind of kept filming made a cup one more DVD I think in like 2015 um, and then this YouTube thing started coming up a little bit more and a little bit more and 
Casey and BMAC from Hush were like, dude, you guys got to put your content on YouTube. And so late 2016 is when we started uploading our first video. And then 2017 was Land of the Free, our first big elk project that really kind of got us a lot of exposure. People really enjoyed the day-by-day story. It was a five states, 50 days straight grind all the way through. And luckily we killed a lot of bulls. I think we killed like 13 bulls that year. So like people just like, you know, hooked on it. And uh, yeah, it's been a wild race since and just kind of, like I said, blessed, super grateful for my life and what we get to do. Um, Met some great people along the way, which I think is, you know, content creators like yourself and just subscribers and people and sharing information and stories. Um, so that's kind of where we're at now. We, we try to, our, our whole mantra with born and raised is to entertain, educate and inspire. So we'd really try to focus on that in videos and, and have a good time. Um, definitely big on the brotherhood side of it. You know, we're a, a pretty tight niche group of four guys. And, um, so we we really are there really to help other people as much as ourselves and so we've kind of learned in the long term of like putting in that work for other people definitely pays dividends down the road so um yeah and that kind of led us to collabing with you know thp and seeing what you guys were doing it literally was just like you know quote unquote like the dirtbag lifestyle like throw a <laughs> sleeping bag out live out of your car go wherever you need to go do whatever you need to do to to go be successful and have fun and mm-hmm. um and i think when we met in that target parking lot it was just like instant kind of you know uh oh, yeah. connection per se you know pretty pretty easy uh transition of like yeah i talked to you on the phone and i'm excited but then in person then I got an icy at the trailhead, so that was uh... <laughs> that's unbelievable. That was such a that was such a great moment. That's when I knew that yep, this will work out. <laughs> You're right. I, I think it's yeah. cool that I feel like you guys are doing exactly what we're doing, just with elk. You know, it's so similar, right? It's it's mm-hmm. well, and waterfowl too, but you know the the elk thing is so um similar to what we're doing in the whitetail woods just because like you said when i i i was growing up and i was watching elk hunting and it's like well you go out and you have all these like certain things that you do and it felt so um it felt similar probably to the experience that you were getting watching whitetail hunting videos like there was like kind of these set rules, these do's and don'ts and, and, uh, only hunt them at daylight and evening. Right. Right. You know, and it's like, I grew up watching Primos, right? The truth, yeah. you yeah. know, and it was phenomenal videos, got a lot of people excited. Then like my bubble got burst that it was all on pretty expensive ranch access stuff yeah. and untouched elk. And I'm like, still it was cool, but it was like unattainable at that point. Yeah. It's not you know, realistic. What, what to, to your yeah. situation, at least, maybe to some, to some, but, you know, I would say the majority of hunters, it's not realistic. And, you know, I think I had told you while we were hunting last year, too, the other thing that I always thought, just based off of talking to um, peers and, um, you know, even older guys that had uh, been hunting longer than me and had made some trips out west, it, it, I was under the impression that if you wanted to hunt elk, you had to have 
preference points for 20 years or 10 years and it was going to take all this time to get out and into the woods and it didn't seem like something that I was ever going to be able to do year after year or every other or however I wanted to do it it, was, it never felt like it was really my choice it felt like it was based off of preference points and I Cody I honestly did not know that it was as easy as as easy as it is until like maybe a year and a half ago you know, yeah. maybe two, maybe two years ago. But I think what you guys are doing is has inspired me to really branch out as a hunter, just because now I recognize that this is possible. And the whole point of this conversation is to just keep driving home that fact, because I want other people to experience what you and I are experiencing when we go elk hunting. Yeah. And yeah, no, I. I would totally agree. 100%. Yeah. The, um, in, in reality too, gas and a tag, I mean, and I talk about this too, is when I first started backpack hunting, I had a $30 pack frame and a day pack strapped to that and all sorts of stuff. You know, I mean, I just, I look like the clamp that's walking down the trail, Mm -hmm. but it was all I had and I went and did it. And, you know, I think a lot of people too have this, I talk about the fear of failure, right? And living in the box of what they, they know. And I mean, the biggest failure is if you don't even try or don't even go, I think, you know, and yeah, you, you know, it may take you two or three trips to kill a bull. You may get lucky on your first trip. Um, but if you go and like actually have a goal and focus like, Hey, I'm going to go elk hunt Colorado or Idaho or, you know, wherever it is, um, just don't come to Oregon because it's not, not, not the greatest. <laughs> elk. Uh, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people just build up this wall and they think it's such this big thing that they cannot go do. Mm-hmm. And that's the coolest thing is like hearing messages from people like, Hey, I watched land of the free. I, I met in Colorado in 2018, the year after the first land of the free went out, I met 11 guys in the backcountry off trail that were like, I watched you guys' series and I wanted to come out here and do this. And it was their first elk trip and it was like, dude, this is awesome. I'm mm-hmm. so stoked you're here. Um, you know, other people might get frustrated that there's people around, but it didn't, you know, it was like, I, I think, I, and this kind of goes to now this day and age of like, there's a lot of selfishness in the world of like, they want, you know, this is mine. I don't want other people to share this. It's like, well, if that happens and it doesn't, you don't get more people into the sport, like it can go away because, you know, all these other forces that are people are trying to shut down hunting, you know, and it's like, Mm -hmm. if we don't have hunters and active in the conservation side of it, then this free opportunity, you know, to go enjoy everything that's out there is going to be gone. But sidebar, sorry about that. Well, no, I I mean, we talk about that all the time, uh, you know, the hunting public in general does. So, I mean, we totally agree. Um, you met you you touched on it briefly like gas and tags you know yeah i think it's really intimidating for people to just like jump in a vehicle and drive across the country um and yeah it's time consuming maybe if you don't like that type of stuff maybe it isn't for you but like it's just one and a half day or two days or whatever it's gonna take like just kind of put your nose down and go for it and i think once you do that and you're there, I think it's just a matter of like having kind of the 
bare minimum stuff or the essentials, right? Talk about what to, y- to you is like that list of essentials. Like what are the basics that you need to, okay, you've bought the tag, you've driven your butt all the way to whatever state, now what? Like what are the other things that right. stick out? I think, you know, um, the basic side of it really, you need um, obviously your hunting, normal hunting equipment, everything, you know, bow, mm-hmm. everything like that. And, and practice be sufficient to 40 yards. I mean, um, but once you get like, if you talk backpacking stuff, there's, there's a rabbit hole that people go down where it's like, they have to have the best gear and the lightest gear in order to even go do it. And that I think is a big false side of it. I think you start for me, honestly, a, a good sleeping bag and pad is is probably the two critical points where I'll spend the most money on because you spend literally probably close to 40% of your time in that scenario. So mm-hmm. if you can't sleep, you're going to be fatigued. Your, your mental side of it's going to get drained faster. Um, so I think those are two really important par- parts of it. Um, you know, having a good pair of boots that are comfortable – that'll keep your feet dry and in, you know, that side of it, but you can start, you know, with whatever you got, you know, Mm -hmm. and just take one step at a time. Um, really past that, uh, shelter wise, there's a lot of opportunities to be in a shelter, you know, for 150, 200 bucks max, even under that, you know, I, I think you had a pretty cool tent last year and I don't think you guys spent too much on the, yeah. Um, so there's there's definitely some initial investment that may be intimidating, you know, but uh, tag depending on the states five to seven hundred dollars. Montana's expensive, mm-hmm. you know, it's about a thousand bucks. Your gas that's you know varies, but I think like the amazing thing when we hunt Colorado, you guys are closer to Colorado than we are. Mm-hmm. Like we got a twenty two hour twenty two hour <laughs> drive uh, you know, to get out there. Um, and then food, right. You can really, I think, um, you could probably set a food budget at about with backpacking food, maybe 25 bucks on the high end for a day. Mm -hmm. Realistically. Um, I think it's pretty good number, you know, get a mountain house, freeze dried, some, some snack food, um, you know, and, and go for it. Um, and then, Calls, I think, are, are really just for our style of hunting that yeah. you don't necessarily need. But calls is, I think, an important factor, you know, and you can be invested to get set up about a 100 bucks with, you know, bugle tube, reeds, external cow call, and you'll be good to go. Um, the one thing that I think uh, a lot of people take from whitetail is like they get really worried about scent and mm-hmm. scent containment or clothing and that. And it's, it's just can't, you cannot really worry about it. it it's just not oh, practical. out West. But it's not. Yeah. Because you're, you're always on the go. You're going to create sweat, body odor, everything like that. Um, so the biggest thing is having a wind checker, you know, or having your, uh, milkweed, you know, little THP pouch. I saw yeah. those the other day. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, having those, those in place, um, is a critical gear. Don't leave the truck without a couple of a wind checkers and a range finder. And I think at that point, um, load up, you know, 
any kind of backpack. Um, honestly, I think you, you can do it with, you know, there's, I've seen, you know, an REI pack for 150 bucks that would, you know, an internal frame that would be three, three, 3,000, 4,000 cubic inches that could get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is nice to have a comfortable pack, pack and meat and everything else. One of the things. Um, I think if you, if you put a budget for a year on gear, I think you could be under fifteen hundred dollars yeah. for for gear um, to to just you know if you didn't have any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and that's so. and that's something or about where Ben and I came up to was like under two thousand dollars for sure is what we thought. Mm-hmm. You know, you could mm-hmm. start from complete scratch and you could realistically be um, in the woods. One question that I've got a lot since I went. I'm sure that you get this too. This maybe dumbs it down a hair. It's like, what are the things that you have taken with you and been like, why did I take this? And then the other side of that is like, man, I wish I would have taken something else. Uh, I've been pretty like over the last, I would say eight years, pretty diligent about trimming things out of my pack. Mm-hmm. So I, I keep a, you know, basically I've got a, a spreadsheet with my gear list. Um, and I start like, okay, I've, I've had this in my pack for three years and never even looked at it, let alone touched it. So cutting that out, trying to, I'm pretty refined. So I'm trying to think, I don't really carry anything unnecessary anymore. Like I used to carry an extra release, a full set of Allen's. Now I'm like, okay, my release fails. I'm going to go back to the truck. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I mean, it's just one of like, I'll have one at, at my truck, but sure. I won't carry on it. Um, I've got my like two Allen's that I need to, like, if I had to adjust something, something went wrong. Um, man, I'm trying to, one thing. I, I really don't have anything in my mind that I'm going, I, I take that I really don't need. I, I mean, clothing, I think is one where people, like I wear the same pair of pants for months straight. Um, I wear usually the same pair of underwear. I might take maybe usually like how we've been doing. It's like we do like a three or four day blast. So I'll wear the same pair of underwear the whole time mm-hmm. and I'll take, you know, maybe two pairs of socks max extra. And that's a, I don't, I don't really carry any clothing that I don't wear. I used to, I used to pack in a pair of pants, a couple extra shirts, you know, now I'm pretty minimal, like my pants, a Merino shirt, um, and then, you know, an insulated layer. And then if the forecast is really crappy, I'll take a super light, ultralight rain jacket. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I don't even pack, pack that in September. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's, if it's going to be raining, yeah, I mean, we experienced it last year. You're going to get wet. It does not matter. You're going to, you're going to have to sacrifice some time, dry out by a fire and, you know, but that's part of living with camp on your back. So yeah. One thing that um, one thing that you guys recommended was like that I, that I does stick out as a thing that I'm happy that we did take is um, that kind of seems like it could be considered a little bit of an extra thing was we took a contractor bag and stuffed our sleeping stuff in that contractor bag in the pack and that that to yep. me when you said that I was like man that's a heck of an idea because it just kind of keeps everything dry you mentioned blood and stuff if you are packing 
meat out that could really help you out for not getting your stuff all junked up you know it's like yeah yeah, that's a pretty great idea and something i'm happy that we did and that's something that definitely sticks out my brother does a lot of backcountry stuff uh canoeing and dog sledding actually and he that's one thing that he's like oh, yeah, okay i always make sure that i have some sort of like insulation as far as like a plastic you know little cover for the yeah. sleeping stuff yeah and two it's like you can use it as emergency poncho if you mm-hmm. need to mm-hmm. uh, i've done that you know mule deer hunting in the past um and then the other one i would say is like a luxury item that i like to have is a pair of Crocs, mm-hmm. you know, or ultra, like any of those kind of some, some sort of shoe that you can get your boot off at the end of the day when you're sitting there cooking dinner, let your feet breathe, creek crossings, um, instead of barefoot or, you know, or getting your boots wet crossing, the, you know, big Creek or river throw on the Crocs, um, makes in its, um, definitely worthwhile. The other one, um, that I would say is a must now is trekking poles. Mm -hmm. Um, Big fan for packing meat. I pretty much keep them strapped to my pack. I actually use them for my shelter too, but um, set of trekking poles is is a game changer when you're packing meat, especially off trail, like coming over blowdown or coming down the hill. Um, It will, it'll save, save your body and injury possible. Yeah. I, Um, I wouldn't, I, I, at times when we were hunting, when we hadn't shot an elk, I was like, eh, these kind of seem like a bit of a hassle. As soon as we started packing meat, I was like, well, sure as heck glad that we got these things. But yeah, yeah. I was thinking the other thing that maybe um, would be a bit of a luxury item, but something that we were glad that we had at least a couple of times was that bag of wine that you were carrying around. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Trent, Trent makes fun of me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a vino guy, man. A little <laughs> glass of red wine with dinner, kill a grouse back in there. Like, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, if you're, if you're a whiskey guy, take a little kill bottle, you know, a little celebratory, uh, or a nightcap, you know, I mean it. And then the other one, um, depending on how you sleep, I usually take, uh, Advil PMs in there with yeah. me. And I'll take take uh, one or two of those a night just to kind of ensure that sleep a little bit. You know, sometimes, you know, wind's blowing or some rain in. It's got some noise that, that you know, I, I'm a pretty light sleeper. Um, definitely take that um, in, in with us. Um, I'm a chapstick guy, too. Like, mm-hmm. uh, especially hunting that. Like, it's a drier climate than where we're at here oh, on yeah. the Oregon coast. So, um my lips get chapped real bad. Yeah. Well, quote from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> my lips hurt real bad. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, would you get to an area? Obviously, you're going to see people. You know, you're you're you know, we're talking about these areas that you can go hunt every year. One of the things that I know that I've heard a ton and ton a ton of times before is like. Colorado over the counter. It's gonna be tough, man. You're probably not gonna hear any bugles. You're probably gonna see nothing but people. And it's like these. It's a classic horror story you hear from the whitetail woods too. You're. It's gonna be overrun. There's tree stands everywhere. You're gonna have guys walking in on you. To a certain degree, that's gonna be the case. But 
when I was headed into the Elkwoods for the first time, you know, I could I had a little bit of an idea of what it was going to be like from watching your guys' videos, but I mean, we didn't really see that many people, and when we did, I didn't feel like it affected us that much, but you have more experience yeah. with it. Talk a little bit about what your expectation is going in and like does it ever get to be too much? Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, in the case we pulled up this year, excuse me, um in a new area had only e-scouted it. We pulled up the trailhead and he literally could not find a parking spot. Granted, it was Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, it was Subarus. It you know, it was right. it was not people hunting. And so that fact of it didn't bother, bother me at all. They're going to go to backpack into a high lake or whatever else. Um, so, but what we did, instead of going on the trail, we cross countryed in there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and um, it's a little bit, it's one of those things is like, if there are people use that to your advantage and it's like, okay, if they're going to be, you know, this is the main inlet and everyone's parked at the trailhead, where is that going to push the elk? If there's pressure there and then play off of that and use it to your advantage. And like I said, what did we hear? The first spot we heard one person call mm-hmm. that first day, that first morning about a mile in. And then yeah. once we got past that, it was like there was we crossed the trail and and went up in another basin and no one had been there. There was no boot tracks, yeah. um, you know, and got on a bull that second day, you know, screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that people get intimidated and they they like already mentally say man this is going to be tough or this isn't going to happen there's too many people and they like start short selling themselves on the possibility of what it's going to be um it is intimidating i mean we've we've rolled into a trailhead where there was like 18 stock trailers and a bunch of other rigs you know up to 30 rigs at a trailhead and it's like all right let's just go we went in there and saw one person in five days so you know i mean they've People all have their destinations. I think the biggest thing um, is staying off trail as much as possible yeah. and just cross country in it. You know, don't mm-hmm. maybe use the trail at a co- couple little segues that might save you some energy and time. Otherwise, um, don't like do not hunt off a trail or focus on the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's you know, and and now I I feel like you don't have to go deeper to have better hunting. I think that there's a lot of pockets now, probably what you guys find in the whitetail woods. It's like the access is challenging or tricky or, you know, that it might be right off a highway. I mean, we've had bulls screaming and you hear the Jake breaks of the trucks coming down the pass and, you know, no one's around. Everyone else is deep and trying to push further and deeper. So, um, I think there's a lot of mix there of where you can get away from people, but you don't have to necessarily be farther or deeper to do that. Yeah. It seems very similar to me as far as deer or, you know, to deer hunting. I just think that it's easy to get psyched out by trucks in a parking lot or a trailhead and, you know, deer hunting also, I know that you can go see a lot of tree stands in the woods. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's actually anybody hunting those tree stands. It's kind of the same thing with pulling up to a trailhead and seeing there's a bunch of vehicles there. It may not even be anybody hunting. It may be 20% of them are even hunters. You know, some of them could be wreck hikers, whatever. Don't just assume that, you know, there's people everywhere. And I will talk to people 
even now and they'll still say to me like oh that's crazy you know my experience was completely different you're you're saying that you know i'm telling them that i'm i felt like there was not that much hunting pressure i mean yeah there's people there don't get me wrong and yeah you can look at statistics and you look at you know license sales for colorado for example yeah there's a lot of people hunting it but somehow we managed to not run into people and i didn't ever think that we were doing anything that was i mean simply put just like you said, we just weren't on the trail. I mean, we weren't just yeah. walking right down the trail every day. Every, occasionally we would cross one or whatever. But I remember one day we crossed a trail. It was like the day that we had that bigger one at like 12 yards or the night before yeah, that. Yeah. We like crossed the trail, yeah. got on a side hill, and immediately heard a bull moving around. And then it kind of got rained out that night. And the next morning we were all over him. And we were pretty dang close to the trail even then, but we weren't on it. We weren't like spending a bunch yep. of time right on it. We were cutting right across it. So to me, that's telling me that you're either, you know, if you're running into people every single day and you feel like you can't catch a break, maybe move then. I don't know. Right. Is that, is that what, how yeah, you feel I, if it's like every single day it's just bouncing into people even off the trail? I mean. It, it just depends on what the elk are doing. Like we've hunted and stuck in with where there's a lot of people and what what I've seen happens, like the peak is Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. You also get, you know, it's like, okay, if you look at the weekends, those are the peak of people. By like Tuesday, you know, people are like, oh, I saw a bunch of people. I'm out of here. And next thing you know, like Wednesday, thir- like, it, you know, it, or they just have a short, long weekend. And mm-hmm. so we kind of play around with that. And, but if we're in elk, like I'm just going to keep hunting in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had experiences where people have busted out bulls, but honestly not very often. I mean, it's been a pretty minimal, minimal deal where we're hunting the same elk. Um, you know, so I, I think the biggest, it, you need, you need some backup plans. Like we ended up moving this, you know, when you and I went after three days, we, packed out of there, went to a new spot and, um, just got in cause it, and it wasn't people, it was just the elk sign, you know, right. fresh sign right. that, that we, you know, packed up and made the sacrifice of driving a few hours, six hours or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And, uh, you know, away we go. So I definitely think a guy needs to have multiple, you know, a through D or E, mm-hmm. you know, type plans. Um, and, and the one thing that you'll find is year to year, it changes like one year it'll be super packed in there a lot of people get frustrated and they won't go back to that spot because they saw too many people so um you know year to year kind of changes um it definitely is a factor so yeah same thing in the deer woods too it's like if you're thinking about people traveling from out of state let's say we're hunting ohio public land and one year there's a group from florida and a group from north carolina that all come and they're hunting that same piece of public land and there's five of them in each group you know 10 extra guys well what if that next year that group those both those groups decide not to go or one of them decides not to go i mean that opens up a whole different opportunity that wasn't there it changes year to year in any situation i think when you're looking at public land especially when you're looking at traveling and hunting yourself there's probably a lot of other people that are traveling and hunting too you know most of the people that we saw in colorado i felt like were not from colorado they were from 
Kentucky, yeah, 100%. Kentucky I would, Steve out I would, there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, old Kentucky Steve we met in 2013, saw him again in 2014, and then I got to see him for the first time last year, and it was okay. like, oh, I love that guy. He's got a whole spread, <laughs> Super Bowls. I mean, he's got, you know, satellite TV, so you can watch football. And, um, but anyways, yeah, I think year-to-year changes, weather changes, um, mm-hmm. you know, people move out got a bad forecast it's like okay let's stick it out you know maybe we got to go back to the truck or grab a hotel room for a night or whatever let's get through this storm and then be right back in there where a lot of people might call their trip quits early and and go on it but what really it comes down to i think is just maximizing the amount of time that you can be in the woods in that september Mm -hmm. um that you know it's for every day you're out there you're gonna hopefully have an encounter um you know, and that just is going to increase your odds is the more time that you're able to put into it. So I wouldn't go out West expecting a five, you know, going on a five day hunt that you're going to stack the cards against you. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to try to maximize it to a full week with weekends or, you know, depending on work. So it's a 10 day trip or something. You've got eight or nine days of solid hunting. I think that's a thing that stood out to me as a major difference from what I'd heard growing up and i also felt like we saw it when we were there even it's like you get there you get to the trailhead and there's people camped right along the trailhead there's people that are telling you their stories of ah yeah we were behind them again today and that's one thing that i think if you can go into it with that mentality of like i'm gonna stick it out i'm gonna backpack in i'm gonna stay out here for chunks of time whether that be four days or the whole seven eight days you're out there it's the same thing. Let's put it this way, man. I was thinking about this a lot when I was turkey hunting. Like, I really, really love turkey hunting. I mean, I'll go on a whole tangent if I'm not careful here. But when I'm thinking about the time spent turkey hunting, I want every minute, as soon as I open the car door, to be able to hear as much as I possibly can. And I think that that's one thing that I'm even going to focus on more going into a new, you know, elk hunting experiences. How can I translate that experience that I get turkey hunting into elk hunting? And I, I know that we did such a good job of that while we were hunting together. You know, we're always in the game mm-hmm. and something that yep. I yep. don't think that I would have recognized. And I tell this to everybody that I talk to about elk hunting. It's like, if you're going to backcountry hunt and you're going to camp out there, put yourself in, think about it like turkey hunting. If you're a guy that's hunted turkeys in like Pennsylvania, for example, or Virginia, you know, you're not going to just get down in the valley and be hanging out down in the valley and hope to hear a bird gobble. Like you can't hear anything down there. Every time we set up camp, man, you were talking about getting to a position where we could hear a lot. So I really consider that the like the biggest, most, if you don't do anything else, get to a place, I mean, get off trail and get to a place where you can hear a lot and be hanging out in those locations yep. because that's putting you in the game and it's not making you waste a bunch of effort just like trying to like put your ears right in those holes. You're like getting above those spots and you're listening. Maybe you're above a big basin. Maybe you're, you know, on a face where you can hear down below you a lot, but it's the same thing that you do when you're turkey hunting and you're not trying to like waste a bunch of time 
fiddling around or getting stuck down in a hole like you're you're always up in in an area where you can hear a lot with turkey and with elk and i think that plays a lot with that just being out there just being you know spending your time out in the woods and not just you know another thing that we saw too is just like these guys that and to each his own you know if you enjoy this part of it by all means do it but i think if you're walking out and then you're coming back to a camp and you're walking all the way back down uh, it's going to be really really tough to stay ahead of the elk and stay ahead of the game well and and i mean i would yeah there's a couple of facets to that like when we first started backpack hunting we set up a base camp we'd pack in there 10 days worth of food we'd go set up a camp and then we'd hunt from that camp every day and next thing you know it's dark and you got a two and a half mile hike back to where your camp is right so the efficiency you know and we always oh well we're light and fast well over the time we just like trim our gear down and be efficient in it so there's no wasted effort you know into to where we're gonna be you know like i said we're going to camp here on this little finger ridge. We can hear off our left, off our right, across the canyon, you know, into the basin, whatever it be. And at daylight, we're in the game again instead of having to get up at 3.30 in the morning to hike two hours in the dark to be back in there to get out at 11 o'clock at night. And, like, after three days and on three hours, four hours of sleep, you're just, like, exhausted, but, you know, you only had a fanny pack and you didn't have to pack that gear in. In reality, it's like, you know, the cliche hunt hunt smarter, not harder type of thing. Mm-hmm. Once you kind of get that mentality of, like, yeah, just pack up camp every morning. I mean, shoot, in 10 minutes, like, I can be out of my tent, pack, ready to roll, let's go. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's it's definitely an efficiency thing. And it, you, like I said, you're in the ball game from the get-go yeah. uh, versus, you know. So, I mean, but with that said, like, there is people that you can do a base camp and you're hunting closer in those areas. Those kind of, if you really spend your time finding those pockets that aren't getting pressured much, you can have a great camp, car camping, you know, mm-hmm. and being. But even then, I think, is to be mobile about it and not set up a huge base camp, but throw out your stuff every night you know, move road bugle, whatever it be. If you're going to, if you're going to do that and move camps several times, maybe throughout that trip mm-hmm. using the same mentality, essentially of how we backpack hunt, but yeah. just out of a car. So, yeah, I think what you said about just like packing up and being in the game is I, I remember <clears throat> we got done with our first trip when I was with you and Wes and Ted, and like I got back home and I was meeting Ben like what I don't know two three days after you guys had left uh-huh and I was like okay like I know what I'm looking for on the map I'm gonna get to the highest point where I can hear the most and I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna study this map until I find that spot and that's where we're gonna get to the first night and then from there you know you start making plays but like that first night I remember thinking because I also had been looking at the weather and it was supposed to be like really cool and just really good that that I don't remember what day of the week it was, but it was the first day that we were going to, first morning we were going to be hunting. I was like, no matter what, we're walking to this spot. And I had picked an area that was close to where we had heard some bulls. Um, You know, we just bulldozed it straight in. I mean, we hunted our way in, but we were like basically making sure that we got to a high point for the morning. 
sure enough, man, I mean, we're packing up camp the next morning, and here's Ben, who's never even heard a real-life bugle in his, you know, his whole life. He's like, dude, I'm pretty sure I'm hearing one. And by the time we got camp packed up and it was, you know, legal light or whatever, just getting to where you could see enough to shoot, sure enough, there he's like way closer to us. And that put us in the game. We'd have never killed that bull if we were in a less than. I mean, that, I felt like that was the perfect spot. If we were somewhere like lower, not quite in the right area, I don't think we would have ever heard him. And I don't know that we'd ever been even in the game. And I 100% like that's that's because of what you taught me. I'd have never known that on my own. That was one of the learning curves that I would have not figured. I, I think at some point, you know, it had dawned on me like, oh, right, we should probably be camping somewhere where we can hear just like where you would start a turkey hunt is up high, you know, ideally. Well, but I yeah, would have never I think known a lot that. Of people, yeah, like, oh, well, let's pick this pretty campsite down by the creek. Yeah. Well, two things. Yeah, it's close to water. Great. But you have a creek blasting all night long. You can't hear anything. It's usually five to seven degrees colder right in the bottom in that draw in the creek. Um, you know, like maybe even if it's dark and you're in the bottom, like, hey, OK, let's pull out Onyx. Hey, there's a little bench up here, like 200 yards. Let's yeah. climb up to that bench and just give you just that little bit, you know. Um, I try to avoid at all costs doing the creek thing, you know, or anything down on the bottom. Um, and two, it's like we found that elevation band too, where those elk were, you know, they'll use the side hill as much as anything. I mean, you know, people have always been taught, oh, they drop down in the meadows at night and they work their way up morning not always the case though a lot of times just use that side hill elevation you know if there's good food water and shelter in that they'll live in that elevation band mm -hmm. um, it seemed like last year it was like that 9200 to just under 10 you know or 9 you know 88 you know in that mm -hmm. thousand foot range that they just kind of lived mid-mountain yeah. um you know or upper third type stuff so and it was like um, all of a sudden yeah. boom we hit that sign and it was always always right in that same band and we just hung to mm -hmm. that and we were always camping in relation to that elevation maybe getting slightly above it to where we could hear like you said off of a finger ridge to the right or to the left or, or both or and even one night i remember i think it was our first night in that new unit we were zach was still with us and we were hunting kind of around that burn area we ended up getting on a bull. Yeah, yeah. We ended up getting on a bull and had him pretty, pretty dang close. And Ted and I ended up seeing him as we spooked him. But um, you know, I, that night I remember being like way down. We weren't way down, but we were pretty far down. We were not in a great flat spot, and we just hiked up with the last like twenty minutes of daylight. Just walked as fast as we could up to the top and got up high. I didn't hear anything the next morning. But I remember thinking that night, like, man, I'm sure glad we did this because we're just in so much better of a position to hear all that stuff down below us. And just consistently doing that, I think, puts you in the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When it's like, okay, we're not going to kill one tonight. We got a half hour or whatever else and we haven't heard a bull where, you know, let's plan this out or, mm -hmm. you know, and we always kind of start with a, hey, a destination for the day and where we end up, we end up. Um, but kind of like, I think the big thing, and you and I both were just constantly pulling out 
pulling out the map and looking, you know, and be like, okay, if we continue this way, we can hit these three little drainages on the way. And if we end up over here, then we can hunt this the next day and kind of like always positioning ourselves in to be the prime, you know, um, kind of pre-planning it instead of just aimlessly hiking, you know, have an idea. Um, and, and I think the one thing, um, that we talked early on, like where the first spot we went, I was, I wasn't really super stoked on the sign, mm-hmm. the rubs. And, and I was really tying into the rubs, you know, yep. cause it was like the rut and it wasn't like anything really from this year. We only saw a few fresh rubs from this year and a, there was some rubs from the year before, but when we moved spots, that's what I was looking for. Cause there was just, you know, it's like consistently they rut in here in September. There's rubs from five years ago and last year and, you know, fresh rubs from this year. And that was kind of the sign that I was focused in on. Um, and I think that'd probably be something for someone not elk hunted before. They don't know how to gauge that. Um, you know, I'm looking for as much density as I can find in that, mm-hmm. that side of it, as many elk. Um, and two, like, uh, their droppings in that dry climate, they can be a day old and they look like they're 10, 10 days old. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, so, you know, I mean, I don't so much as if I see a lot of droppings, great, right. but the rub sign of it is, is a lot of times what I'm well, really keen in on. Even I feel like when we found rubs, we found or more rubs, we found just straight up more droppings, more tracks. It was like yep. everywhere you looked, there was an elk track, it seemed like. In mm-hmm. comparison to the first spot, it was like, you know, you may go several hours before even seeing like a for sure track with the, you know, that has happened since the last rain or whatever. And right, the second spot we went to, I remember thinking like, whoa, this is it. This is where we're going to get into some stuff just because it was that much more sign. And I do remember telling you, like, I have no idea what to expect. Like I can go into an area, especially an area that I've hunted. Like, let's say, let's take a state, for example. Um, I grew up hunting Ohio for whitetail. If I go into a piece of public land, I have an expectation of what the amount of sign I need to see is. I don't have that for elk. And I think if you're doing your first trip, you don't have you don't have that expectation at all. It's so hard to describe it is the tough part. So like if right. you're in it but if you're feeling it, if you're like, Yeah, there's a lot of elk in here, then like you're probably right. If you're feeling like yeah, yep. there's not much here, then you're you're also probably right. Like just kinda use that gut and like also I think another thing that I would that I would really say from somebody who has experience hunting an area with not much sign where there's still elk. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we still had a dang close encounter with that bull. Yeah. Um, yeah. like we couple bulls in there actually mm-hmm. that morning. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if we were to have no experience, like let's say that was just Ben and I going in on our first trip. I think the biggest thing is to not start getting down on it. If, if you make the decision to stay, maybe that isn't the best decision necessarily, or maybe, maybe moving would have been a better decision. I, you know, it's hard. You'll never know, but like, don't get down on it. Don't start doubting yourself. If that's the decision you make, just keep after it because we kept after it. And all of a sudden we're in on one. Like we didn't hear anything well, or it, see anything for like a day and a half. And then all of a sudden, boom, there he is. Yeah. And we almost got him. 
And I think that's the biggest thing is it literally can change. In five minutes, you could have not seen an elk or heard an elk in a day and a half or two days. And boom, you call one and kill it in five minutes. Yep. Like from the first time you heard it to the to the time you get it. So I think that is definitely like the mental side of it is as much as anything else. Of, And I, I, I preach this, but we have confidence in what we're doing because yep. we've done it. And so... I, I do know if I found if like roles were reversed and I grew up in the Midwest and never elk hunted, it would take me a while to build that confidence and the like, hey, this is it's gonna happen. Let's just keep at it. I can see that challenge, you know, so it's it's easy for me to sit over here with, you know, quite a few years experience and what we're gonna do, like, hey, we'll, we'll this will pan out, we'll find them, we'll kill one. Um, you know. I, I got I got a little bit of a different route. I want to go here. This is about the calling, but you know you're talking about the confidence, and I you know you watch the video. You, I'm I'm saying this from like a like a listener perspective here. You know it's like you watch the videos and you hear this like, yeah, these guys just you know the born and raised guys they just bugle nonstop. Guys, I kid you not, we bugled nonstop. Like to the point mm-hmm. to the point where you're like. Like, what would be the difference between this last one and this one? But sometimes that's all it takes, a little bit different angle. It's the same thing when you're turkey calling. Like, you know, if you're making calls, eventually, all of a sudden, it just takes that one time that's on fire, and boom, he's gobbling to it. It's the same thing with, with the elk calling. It's just you're using a lot louder call. And I think one thing that you said to me that really hit home and, like, my friend Ben just, like, latched onto, and he says it all the time, is, bugles are free and you can do it whenever you want and when you said that i was just like damn he's right like bugles are free and it's the same thing when we're turkey calling it's like okay you get to a high point and you're like well i could call should i call it's like what the heck's it matter let's try it it's the same thing when you're when you're elk hunting you know if it falls on deaf ears what is you know yeah, I just got to hear myself bugle. Cool. Right. You know, I mean, all right, it's practice in that sense. Um, the other side of it, too, is as you're covering that country, a bull may hear you the first time, doesn't respond. And you move that 150 yards and you bugle again. And he's like, hmm, mm-hmm. he's kind of coming my way. Then the third or fourth time, all of a sudden he cracks off. Yeah. Maybe only 100 yards now or 200 yards. He may have heard that, but it built up his excitement level in it you didn't know that he heard you if you just bugled every five you know or half mile or what you cover all this ground and you don't bugle and all of a sudden you just blow this bull out of his bed you know so Mm -hmm. like like i said if it falls on deaf ears great you know it's no big deal i think a lot of people in the elk woods kind of get you know scared to bugle or i don't want to mess this up or if i call too much it all changes once you hear that first bugle, mm-hmm. but until you hear the first bugle, like just keep, you know, and the tr- sound carries, you know, especially in that country, like with the way the wind or the way, lay of the land or the thick terrain, it may not even carry 200 yards, you know, in some, some places. So that's why we do it so much. Just, you know, bugles are free. Yeah. Yeah. And I talked to a fair amount of folks and this is just a di- not to say that this couldn't work because I have thought of this situation a lot or this scenario a lot where I talk to some guys and they're like, yeah, we 
basically are covering ground. We're hitting those open meadows and looking for, for sign. And then we're setting up in those or maybe getting the set up. And then they kind of go through a calling sequence and they spend like, you know, a good amount of time doing that. And the only thing that I think about that is it seems so risky as far as a time commitment just for the chance of the wind swirling because to bust the whole thing and and the reason I say that is for us I felt like it was almost a bit of this like numbers game where right like we're gonna mess up five before we kill one yeah and, yeah. and it, it ended up being that way I mean I think that how man, many times did you draw your bow six that, when I was six yeah. or, or I mean, you know maybe seven maybe eight it was a lot which is, I mean, I think the proof, I think a lot, and this goes into the, I always talk about people hunting the country and not the elk. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, this looks phenomenal. Or there is sign there. Well, maybe that on the meadow, they move in there at midnight on a big moon. Right. And they're in and out of there when you're not even, could even hunt them. So I, I think a lot of people like look for things and they hunt what they look versus it's, that bull bugled midday up in that steep timber. I'm going to wait for him to come down this evening to this meadow and try to kill him. No, I'm going to go up there right now and, and it's, it's kind and of where pick a fight. it's kind of like the tree stand hunter mentality kind of overtakes to a certain degree. It's like, ah, oh, this looks good. I probably shouldn't pass this up. And there's this fear of, of messing up or going too far. And I, I think it has to be more of a, run and gun turkey approach where you yeah this looks great i love the way this ridge looks i would love to call a turkey over here well i personally don't set up i just keep going and i try to find him within that habitat you know that or that terrain or whatever he's in there somewhere you gotta find him and i think it's it's kind of taken you know with elk hunting i always feel or I always felt when we were doing it that it's taking a little bit of your deer knowledge and a lot of turkey knowledge and combining those two. Because calling elk and having that run and gun approach, at least if you're hunting what is your guys' style and has now become my style for forever, I don't see myself doing anything different. But it yeah, just seems like yeah. you have to kind of you have to get through it you have to get through some mistakes and have some encounters before um, you're going to have success. Because I think if we wouldn't have had five or six encounters, we would have not got one just because it's like you get to a point where at some, at some point something gives and you get a good shot at one. But there's so many factors. When you're hunting the mountains of the Rockies, you know, the Rocky Mountains, it's like, all of a sudden the wind's going up and then it's going down then it's going back this way and then it's going this way, this way, this way. And you can't control that. And no matter what, I mean, no matter what amount of scent control you want to do, you're not going to stop that. He's going to smell you if he comes in at the right angle on the right moment. But if you do it seven times, maybe you get lucky on number seven, you know, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of times too is like those other six are destined that they're not, like doesn't matter what you do you weren't going to kill that elk, right. you know, just how the train, what the wind was doing, what, what that bull experienced last night, he may not come in or close, you know, so it's, 
but you can't get down on yourself like, oh, it was close again and then get like bummed out. It's like, no, no dude, that was awesome. Like yeah. you just had a conversation with a wild animal and uh-huh. thought he thought we were an elk. Cool. What what's the takeaway from here? What if okay, maybe I did make a mistake. What would I have done? Was it the setup? Would I set up in the sun or something like that where he saw me before, you know, he, he closed that distance and I I think that's the biggest thing is like just enjoy the journey instead of that destination to kill an elk. Like I think so many people get wound up like it was not successful because I did not fill a tag. Would you call a bull in or have a blast and learn a bunch of stuff? Mm -hmm. Man, that's a huge win. Yeah. So. Yeah. I. Yeah. Go ahead. I got. I got. Since we talked turkey and elk, yeah, like that was the huge conversation during our hunt, I was like, man, this is a lot like running and gunning for turkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year, like I got all jacked up after talking with you about turkeys, dude, I'm like full blown bulls <laughs> of the spring. I do not care what else is going on. I'm going to turkey hunt. I'm going to go to as many States, as many places as possible this next spring. Um, just cause I applied a lot of our elk stuff, um, to turkeys. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, the correlation there, just from my experience, you know, growing up turkey hunting to me was the backyard barnyard stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it was all private land. It was all 10 acres or 15 acres. And you had to wait kind of probably, I mean, food plot type deer type stuff, right? They come through here when they're going down to Lisa's down the street that get, that feeds them. And that's, you have to set up here with a blind and, you know, try that. Once I got on public land here in Oregon and chased birds, literally off our mountain bikes, like yeah. did the same cat road shuffle of what we do for elk here, uh-huh. dude, it, it, it is a lot of the same and same deal. I think, you know, the Tom's in, and you said this, it stuck was like the Tom's nature is to stand there and strut and gobble for the hens to come to him. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times a bull is in the same nature. If you're trying to be a female, like they, mm-hmm. they definitely explore and come, but the, when you get them fired up and mad, that's when they're going to break that mold of like, okay, I'm going to come defend what I have, or I'm going to go win over what he has. Um, I think that same covering ground searching for that biter, you know, like you, you may pass up other elk that you could probably maybe kill on a spot in stock or out of a tree stand hunting a wallow. But I'm going to spend my time covering as much country, finding the elk. The hardest part of elk hunting is just finding elk. Mm Mm-hmm. The hunting part of elk is is way easier, I think. You're just going to spend a lot of time looking for them. Once you find them, they're they're not they're they're hard to kill. Don't get me wrong, but they're not. It's not like rocket science. You have a few mm-hmm. things in your favor. You, you're going to get it done. So what? Just talk through like the tur- so a guy in the Midwest. It's only turkey hunted whitetail. You you touch on this. It's heavily on the turkey side. What tactics would you deploy in the elk woods that you take from turkey hunting? The main thing is getting to places where you can hear and cast that call into places where you think that the animal you're pursuing is. So, for example, in turkey season in the Appalachian Mountains, I'm not getting to a spot where I have to make a whole bunch of calls to get it to hit a whole bunch of different places. I'm not trying to move very much. If I can walk straight up to the top of that mountain and have everything below it hear me, that's what I'm going to do turkey hunting. And I think the same thing kind of goes with elk where 
you have to kind of plan that route to a certain degree. Obviously, it's going to change based off of what type of sign you're seeing or what maybe you are hearing or seeing, but just putting yourself in an efficient position is really important, I think. And I think that's one thing Mm -hmm. that, especially taking a step back and like revisiting it again as turkey season was happening, it's like, man, with elk, you know, if you always are improving that year after year after year and just improving your skill as far as being efficient and just getting your ears on a lot of ground and get in, in turn casting that call into a lot of different pockets, I do think you're going to improve your odds a lot. Um, and then the other thing is taking that down a scale or, or more specific of a scale. Once you've found that pocket of, you know, uh, sign or like with turkey if i'm finding a bunch of scratching on this one specific ridge system it's like okay i need to be really specific now with these calls and really hit these spots very specific spots i know he's in here somewhere i know he's in this like you know i'm on the main ridge and he's off one of these secondaries somewhere it's kind of the same thing with elk it's like Okay, now we're in this band of elevation, maybe kind of working around this bench. It's just being specific in those spots and and really trying to zigzag and cover that ground and, you know, turn over the right rock, I guess, to find where he's at. I think is one, one really major thing that sticks out. So if you've got any experience running gun turkey hunting, and you, especially if you love running gun turkey hunting, you're going to love calling elk i think <laughs> yeah 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 that kind of leads me into another one that i had for you what was the feeling of a bull screaming in your face you know at 40 yards with a bow in your hand oh, it's, i mean is it like scale of uh, like comparable to turkey and a bird gobbling i think when it's all coming together and you're you finally get to that point and it's like it's happening he's right here it's the same it's that same it's different it's a different scale it's it's weird it's it's weird because it's a size thing almost it's like a little more intimidating with the elk just because it's like this thing could just straight up run me over and just crush me where it's like a turkey (laughs) is this thing that you could grab by the neck and it's game over for the turkey but there's still that same level of intensity of like the heart rate's going up. You know it's about to happen. You don't you don't know exactly what's about to happen, but you feel like you know it's finally all coming together. It's for me. I have this. I feel like at least personally, I have a just this standard. Like when the animal's coming in, that's how I feel. Period. Whether it's a deer, an elk a elk or a deer and elk a turkey it's it's just max intensity but like trying to stay focused is tough i think the biggest thing is just picking that like you know i think the same thing when a deer is coming in pick the spot and just focus on it same thing with the turkey as soon as i got a bead on a redhead and i know it's you know a safe clean shot just stay focused and and it was just really cool to me to have that new experience in that new place with the elk. It was just really, 
it, it, it finally, or it finally was like, I'd been looking forward to it my whole life, you know, and if, here I finally am doing it. It was just like pretty dang special. Yeah. It's pretty awesome because, yeah. yeah, again, you know, I heard had heard my whole life that this was going to be this impossible to, you know, Colorado over the counters. It's like, you can't do it. You're never going to hear a bugle. It's it's not even elk hunting. It's not like what you see. Well, it isn't like what you see on TV necessarily, but it can still happen. And, and neither is turkey hunting like you see on TV, you know, at least to me. You know, hunting, growing up right. hunting public land, like, yeah, you didn't see four toms running into a decoy. Like, that just wasn't realistic. But that's what you can see on TV. You can hear a guy hit any old call on it for a turkey and a bird gobbles. Well, that's not what it's like for me. I, I don't know, you know, for some people maybe it is, but to me it isn't. And to be able to oh. go elk hunting and it be, you know, a thing and hear one was, was pretty awesome and just, like, really lit a fire for... You know, I can do this every year and, you know, I can do, this is just a whole another form of hunting that I can expand and grow as a hunter. And I love that about it. And the other side of it, the groceries that you get out of an elk. Oh yeah. Pretty, pretty yeah. dang impressive. Yeah. Completely different than, you know, turkey, we're on turkey tour, a turkey that we shoot lasts one, you know, one, maybe two days. <laughs> the yeah. elk, the elk is, you know, that's enough for a year and and you know with your family and friends and whatever so yeah i mean it adds a whole nother aspect of it packing out sure. too i mean packing out to me it's like i really wish i could have experienced that with you guys because i know it's one of those things that like it changed my life really it's like it's such an excruciating thing but I love I love that type of stuff, man. I love pushing myself to the limit. So it's same. Uh, it's uh, yeah. There's nothing like it. It's sharing a pack out with someone there. It it is it is something. The one thing that I did want to kind of touch on. I think there's this preconceived notion that it's September. I got to get it out instantly. Meat's gonna spoil. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like there's a couple things um, to, to take to note for people that have never elk hunted before. Yes. Um, it is critical to have good meat bags, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to prevent fly blow. Yeah. So I, I think that's a number one. But you break that thing down, get the quarters off, and get them hung up in the shade or down in a cool draw with a creek. I, in particular, where we hunted, Last year in 2013, I killed a bull and I hung it in the woods for five days in September, did not lose any meat. And it was phenomenal table fare because, mm-hmm. you know, at night, the biggest thing, if you get that first good cold where it gets cold all the way to the bone on the first night, that thing's, it gets that creative or that protective crust on the outside. And so if you're by yourself, like you don't have to kill yourself with trying to get it out in two trips, you know, you could string that over multiple days if you needed Mm -hmm. to, to get that meat taken care of. Just keep it, keep the flies off of it, keep it in the shade. Um, and, and something that's got a breeze on it where you've got good airflow coming off of it and you're, you're going to be good to go. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely, I think that that people talk about, Oh, it's 80 degrees out. I mean, it can be 80 in the day, but in the shade in the Creek, it's, 20 degrees cooler and at night it's in the 40s or even in the 30s 
it is you are gonna be golden with that meat yeah. so yeah and we not ever packing an elk out by the time we got it because ben had bought a tag so we took the meat into town took it dropped it off at a locker and they were like oh yeah you guys did in- incredibly well they're like we've seen way worse and you know it took us oh every bit of shot the bull at 8 a.m and didn't get it back to the trailhead until like probably noon the next day you know it's a day and a half and Mm -hmm. and that was us also pushing it i mean we were pushing it so we could try to get back in the woods hunting but we didn't need you know looking back on it now it's like well we were doing everything right you know we were taking the right precautions i guess to make sure that we weren't gonna let anything spoil and yeah i mean it tastes incredible and it does feel a little bit different because i think if you're a whitetail hunter, you think to yourself, like, no, I get it. I, you know, I, I shoot the deer. I get it out of the woods that night. You know, usually the next day it's completely cut up. It's a, it's a totally different thing than shooting this gigantic animal, hanging it into a, hanging it in a tree. And it may be whatever, three, four days later, by the time you actually get it all the way out of there, it, yeah. it isn't the end of the world. So don't be afraid to shoot something way back in there because you have the time and don't also don't, don't push it too hard. Cause it is, I mean, it's hard to do. It's hard to pack. It's hard to pack out for sure. It It's a grueling experience. No doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's something too that, I don't know. I think if you have the right mentality for it and especially if you have the, that's one that's one thing I will warn folks about. When you're planning your elk trip, make sure you got somebody that you don't want to like you're gonna see you're gonna potentially see somebody's like side where they break and you don't want to take the type of person that's gonna break in that moment, I don't think. And that's not I'm not dogging anybody, I'm not saying it's bad, but like having Ben and Colin with me, and I know you guys would have been the same, obviously you guys have experience and I know Ted's you know, tough as well, but like having Ben and Colin with me was amazing because those guys were always positive. I mean, it was hard as hell. Like it's the hardest thing I've ever done physically. It, it definitely was, but they never lost an ounce of that positive energy. And that really helps keep the whole group moving. And even the times where you know, it's like, man, we got to go up that hill. <laughs> you know, we got to get up that yeah. steep, steep bank. We got to go over these blowdowns. Yeah. It's like having somebody right there beside you is it, that is got a positive mentality is important. And if you have a buddy that you're thinking about going with and you know that he's a type to break, man, he's going to break. So be be cautious of that, I will say. No, it makes or breaks friendships. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind, like in um i think hunting partner is as critical second critical is picking a wife you yeah. know <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sure. like um you know they they can either be the guy like man i miss my family i got things i could do that you know even when the hunting's hard like they make all the excuses to like maybe we should just pack it up and call it a trip versus the guy like what I experienced with you, it's like, man, we just heard a bull bugle. He's at the top. We got 45 minutes. It's going to take us 35 to get up there. 
Let's do it. You know, let's go do this. <laughs> let's do it. You know, and so it's it's definitely that positive energy, the can-do attitude, you know, I th- I half think, full type of guy. Yeah, and I think we we talked about doing just, you know, casual conversation while we're hunting too. We were talking about like types of um, like competitive running or like um, just staying in shape in general and like when you you're talking with somebody and they have like a similar mentality as you as far as like how much they're willing to get after it just you know by personal choice you know that that tells a lot I think about what you're going to get get into with a a a, um, hunting partner or buddy or whatever it's like it's the same thing when we're when we're talking with people that are applying for the internship with us it's like i I use the reference off it's like did you play sports you know did you like have that mentality of never quit attitude with your teammates because that's what this is when we're yeah Yeah. when we're hunting as a group it's like we have to be a team we have to stick together and and build positive always positive energy off of each other we're going to be miserable and i think I think that's really important for sure. No, there's no doubt that 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 drives and and inevitably too is everyone's at different points throughout this whole trip, you know, where if you're calling and, you know, the shooter didn't get a shot, you know, you might that person may get frustrated. The shooter may be down on themselves or maybe they're like, "Oh man, when you were calling, you did you should have done this." And having, you know, it's like everyone's at different highs and lows throughout the whole deal. And so you're Mm -hmm. trying to keep that whole group lifted up as high as possible. And, um, you know, if there is someone there that's kind of got that bad uh, attitude, you know, or, or, you know, you got to somewhat block it out and be like, okay, dude, it's time to put your big boy shorts on, Mm -hmm. be a man. This is what we signed up for. We All all knew what we were going into this. Let's do this, you yeah. know, and, and hopefully get that turned around in a short order and have open communication throughout, right. you know, it's like, right. dude, I'm, I'm tired. I'm weak, whatever this morning. Okay, cool. Hey, do we need to take, you know, a half hour break and enjoy the sun here and yeah, get a cup of coffee in or some ramen? Like, like that's okay. You know, right. it's part it doesn't of have with to. The camp on your back. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like overly intense all the time. I mean, depending on what your group you know, you know, I think you do base your hunting group off of like your personal attitude or your personal um, demeanor, I guess, out there. It's like it doesn't always have to be that intense. It doesn't have to be any amount of intensity. It's just like as long as you're all working together and you're on the same page, I think is the most important thing just because if you're not, then, oh, man, it, it they say they use the word toxic often you'll hear that in like (laughs) if you have a toxic guy in your group or gal whatever it's like it's going to get pretty unfun pretty fast and it's going to be hard to do all these other things that we're talking about like plan ahead and find a perfect camp spot if you're constantly bickering with the people that you're hunting with i mean you're never going to get anything accomplished so i think just you know really hitting home that you're all on the same page is like, I mean, incredibly important. And I think too, that was what made our group 
so efficient and have so much of a fun time. We're all on the same page always. It's like, yeah, we're going to do whatever it takes to get there and whatever speed it takes, like we're going to get there and we just did it and it was awesome. And it was, you know, will always be one of the greatest experiences that I've ever had hunting and just in life in general, I think is it, you know, elk hunting is an amazing thing, man. I'm watching these videos as I'm editing them and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go back. You know, it's like, yeah, I just can't wait. And I, I keep thinking, you know, the more and more that I, the older I get, the more it's like, I have to just continue to make this a habit to be out there at some point in the season, just because it's, it really is so life-changing. So that's, that's really my whole, I would say in the future in general, THP's mission with our elk hunting you know, series that we do. And same thing with what you guys are doing. I think I want to, Aaron, you know, you, Trent, whatever, Trevor, you guys all have the same idea too of like, let's get people involved in this so they can also experience it because it's so special. Yep. Yep. No, a good friend of ours, Wayne Endicott, he owns a bow shop here, the bow rack in Oregon. He said this in 2012 on our first trip to Wyoming out of state. He's like, man, you only get so many Septembers in one man's life. Yeah. And it was like, Whoa. boom, you never know. You never know like what could come, you know, you could get sick. What I mean, scary stuff could happen. And it's like if, if, you, if you keep saying, oh, 2022, I'm going to go do this. 20, you know, it's like if you literally set the goal like right now, okay, I'm not going to make it this September, but in 2021, I'm going elk hunting Colorado over the counter. What does that look like? Okay. I need to buy a tag. That's this much money. I'm going to need gas. What do I need for gear? Set a goal. Okay. That's going to cost me, you know, $1,500 to get to what I need to, to do this. How much is that per day to the point I leave? Okay. I cut out Starbucks coffee. Do I like... Because if you live intentionally, then you can do what you want to do. If you just live this like meandering life and like, oh, yeah, I guess elk season's coming up. Man, I would sure wish I could go do that like right. everybody else. Well, like you have to have intention behind it. You have to have purpose. Set set some goals. Have some benchmarks along the way. Be realist, realistic about it. Don't, you know, I mean, don't overshoot yourself to where you build it up too much. Um do the things that you can do to make that actually happen. Yeah. I think that's a, a big takeaway. I I mean, there's things in life that I never would have thought were possible. And if I would have put a barrier up to go try to do those things, I would have never achieved those things. Mm-hmm. But, man, it's like just little step by step. I've climbed some mountains that I'm going, there's no way we're going to be up there. <laughs> Literally in two hours, we're yeah. up to the top. And I'm like, that wasn't so bad, Yeah, you know? Yeah, it's it's... It's so crazy how easy it is to put off that idea. It's, just, I mean, if you haven't, even if it's not, if you're listening to this and it's some other form of elk hunting, or I'm sorry, hunting, not just elk hunting, don't be afraid to start planning for that and make it happen sooner than later. I'm very happy that I started elk hunting when I did and didn't let a single year extra go by. You know, looking back yeah. on it, I wish I had done it earlier. Right. By all yeah. means, I wish I would have drank less beer in college and just p- saved up enough for an elk tag, you know, or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. But no, I, I think you're right. I think um, 
I experienced my first out-of-state hunt when I was 18 years old um, on my own. I'd mm-hmm. gone with my dad, you know, a couple years before that and have never looked back. It's like, you know, do whatever you can, saving some money, selling off some stuff that's sitting there that you're never going to use. Like, if there's a will, there's a way on it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully we've inspired some people. Cody, I know both of us probably have more work that we got to get done today. So we'll start wrapping yeah, this no. up. But <laughs> yeah, it, I could sit here and talk, I, especially talking to you. I truly enjoy it, Zach. Yeah. Like I, I cherish our friendship and, um, I'm, I'm a little bummed that we don't have anything September planned, but I've definitely got to figure out this deer thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm really, really excited to go. When Ted, Ted texted me the other day, he's like, I'm going with Warb to Wyoming. So I'm really excited to hunt with those guys yeah. this year. Um, that, that'll be a fun trip. Um, oh, yeah. So you're, so just like, you're going to be in Colorado hunting elk when? Yes. Date, roughly? Well, so I figure this year I'll start doing a little bit of deer hunting um, early September since Aaron's going elk hunting in early September this year. Um, Ben, I like, we kind of made the, the pact when we were planning this elk, you plan an elk season last year. It's like, I promise you forever that, you know, uh, if you want to go or can go, like I'll go and vice versa. And like, we pretty much just made that pact. So, you know, he, filmed me shoot that one last year we hunted he got a tag and we hunted for another probably i don't remember exactly five days maybe but he's getting a tag again this year we're gonna try it again so we'll be mid-september kind of is when we're thinking probably about the time we hunted last year i think i shot that bull on the 15th of september so we'll probably be there right about then sometime in or a little bit before that into that time frame and then cool man just deer you know always deer it's always deer season it seems like <laughs> turkey and yeah. elk are, turkey and elk are these little slivers of the hunting season it's always deer season <laughs> i know you guys got definitely uh the 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 content uh, side of life is pretty strong there it's like our bread and butter is basically 30 days for most states yeah. you know yeah montana runs a little long um but it's it's definitely a challenge yeah. But, uh, yeah, the other side of it too is the Western leg of the Turkey tour is happening oh, next yeah. year. I do it. I like, there's no, ifs. it is, I I've already got, I've already got some stuff in Idaho figured out Wa- Washington, Montana, um, here in Oregon, C- California. So I'm, I'm trying to do like a five stater yes. on the West side. So it, if even if we have to meet in the center or I come out there early, like in that March stuff in the South, and then come out here in April, yes, first part yeah. of May. Dude, like, yeah. Yeah. We should, yes, we should make sure that we're playing on that because there's, there's this two. See, that's another special time. When you really start to lock in that turkey, man, it's like all of a sudden you're like, how many days am I going to hear gobbles in my life? I got to maximize my time out here. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's also very special to me. And that's what, that's the thing. I, I, I don't. I definitely don't ever want to downplay the fact that I love deer hunting, man. I love deer hunting, but it really is such a long season. I mean, you can hunt deer from, for sure, September 1st every year, and then you can hunt deer till mid-February in the south. So it's like, that's a lot of time you could be hunting deer, where with elk and turkey, it's these 
you know, very small times of the year. And it's real, it just it makes me hold it a little bit more special, you know, than, than the deer just because it's so short lived, but yep, we'll have yep, to plan sure. more of that for, in the future for sure. But I guess okay. with that, let's wrap it up. Thanks for t- the conversation, man. I appreciate it and look forward to the next time we're in the woods together. Yeah, no, likewise. I, I'm super stoked to be here. And, uh, man, for all the listeners of THP, Zach is exactly like he is on camera in person, <laughs> the most genuine, just raw, real dude. I, I kind of give myself – like, honestly, I I had so much fun in those 10 days and bonded with you so well. Like, uh, yeah, I just really cherish our friendship, and uh, it means a lot to me. And, yes. and like I said, for all your viewers – awesome guy you guys do a great job doing doing awesome content inspiring people it's it's really cool to watch so you guys deserve everything you get so well i appreciate that and i feel exactly the same it's like you watch somebody on on line and it's you know there's there's good and bad experiences you know as you meet people but i can honestly say everybody at born and raised is has been a great experience meeting them spending time with them and you know feel the same way i couldn't i and i also man if you want just like a boatload of awesome elk content go watch their stuff because it's just and they feel like it's endless video even after i watch one i can go watch it again like in a couple weeks and it's like watching it for the first time again so yeah highly recommend it appreciate it these guys are awesome guys and thanks for the conversation dude thanks zach